Welcome to another podcast of The Apologist Bookshelf. I want to go back and take a second look at a book by Mike Strauss, Ph.D. He's a physicist, and his book is called The Creator Revealed. And I thought uh, maybe we'll stir up a little controversy. I don't know. We'll see. This is chapter 11. He's going to talk about the days of Genesis. Uh, He said every time he speaks... Uh, He does a lot of uh, lectures and all, but he said people always get back to the question about, okay, so Genesis really is God uh, bringing the world into existence, but how long are the days of Genesis? So he said, uh, here we go. He said, what what does the word day mean? Of course, uh, that's the key thing, isn't it? So he gets into a little bit of the Hebrew there. He said uh, the word that we pick up as day for us is yom. And it has a lot of meanings, just like it does for us today. He says, you know, that's an important principle. He said, most of the words that you come across in languages don't have just one literal meaning. Sometimes they have a range of possible meanings. It kind of depends on the context. So take day as an example. It could mean daylight. So uh, right now we're in uh, daylight savings time. So it's like 6 o'clock in the morning until maybe 5.30 or 6 at night. So it could mean mean the period of daylight. It could mean a long period of time. Like if somebody says, well, my grandfather's day, well, that's kind of an indistinct period of time. It could mean 24 hours, or it could even mean something else. And so he quotes from a man named Mounts, who has an expository dictionary, who says, you know, basically the word yom, the Hebrew word, has five categories. So the first basic one is the period of light in a day and night cycle. In other words, from sunrise to sunset. But it could mean 24 hours. It can also refer to a general unspecified period of time. It could signify a specific point of time or in time. And then finally, the plural sometimes could be a period of a year or annually. So Strauss says that Yom is used 16 times in the first two chapters of Genesis. Nine of those times refers to the six days of creation and God's seventh day of rest. All right, so he says, since we're trying to figure this out, he says, let's look at the context. How does the author use Yom those seven other times in Genesis 1 and 2 when it's not talking about creation? And so he goes through these, and I know it's easier if you have this in front of you as a book, so I'm just going to kind of rattle them off, but I hope it's it's helpful. So in Genesis 1-5, Yom there means daylight as it does in 114, 116, 118. And then he says, if you go back to Genesis 114, another use is possibly distinctive purpose days, plural. And Genesis 2.4 is a period of time, all six days of creation, and 2.17 at that moment or when. So he said, if you focus on Yom, when it's not talking about the days of creation, it never means if you look at chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, it never means 24 hours. The literary context shows that the author of Genesis is sometimes going to use it to mean a longer period of time. Like here's Genesis 2.4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day, Yom, that the Lord God made heaven and earth. Well, that means the entire period of creation, that's all six days. So that's obviously more than 24 hours. Okay, so... That's the first observation that Strauss is making, that Yom doesn't mean 24 hours at all in Genesis 1 and 2, except maybe those days of creation. 
All right, so let's uh, let's pick up. Let's see here. He says all biblical scholars can agree the word yom could have a lot of different meanings, but he said, you know, there are still some Christian leaders who claim that the days of Genesis have got to be 24, hour, uh, 24 hours in length. And he said these are the three reasons that he's heard most often given for that interpretation. One, they use the phrase evening and morning associated with the days of creation. So evening and morning, that starts sounding like 24 hours maybe. He says, secondly... He hears people say, well, the days of creation are numbered, day one, day two, so on. So that must mean 24 hours. And he says a third argument is that the seven days of creation is like a pattern that the Israelites were to follow. In other words, they're supposed to work for six days and rest on the seventh. He said, but this, is, this could be a big mistake. He says, let's look more closely at each of those three reasons. So let me go over them real quickly one more time, and then he's going to look at them in depth. He says three reasons people are given for that interpretation of Genesis uh, having 24-hour days of creation. First, you've got evening and morning. Then you've got the numbered days. Then you've got that pattern of six and one, you know, working for six days and resting for one. So he takes them apart. He says, okay, let's start with that evening and morning business in Moses' day. He says, well, Moses is the author of the story of creation, and if you look at Psalm 90, it says Moses was the author of that one. He said, why don't we take a look at Psalm 90, verses 3 to 6, where the author uses that same kind of terminology just to mean the beginning and the ending. So, for example, Moses writes there, You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the, in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass in the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. So he says, did you notice Moses is using evening and morning as metaphors for the beginning and the ending of human life? Just like we would use the word dawn to me, the beginning, like a dawn of a new age. So he says the term morning and evening are used by Moses to just mean beginning and ending, respectively. So he's talking about the beginning and ending of a person's life in Psalm 90. Well, in Genesis 1, again, that morning and evening can be referencing just the beginning and the end of six periods of creation. And then he actually, I think it was fascinating, he refers to a man named Dr. Schofield. I grew up uh, with a Schofield reference Bible. That was a big gift I got. And uh, this man is a real traditional scholar, real traditional theologian, Schofield is. He's not uh, some crazy radical. And here's what Schofield says, that that phrase, evening and morning, can simply mean the beginning and ending of any period of time. Here's what Schofield said about Genesis 1. The use of evening and morning may be held to limit day to the solar day, but the frequent parabolic use of natural phenomena may warrant the conclusion that it simply means that each creative day was a period of time marked off by a beginning and ending. He says, if you look at the context, now I'm he, I'm back to Mike Strauss. He says, if you look at the context of Genesis 1 and 2, it gives another hint as to what that evening and morning may refer to. He says the, the six days of creation are described as having an evening and morning, but the seventh day of rest, it doesn't have an evening and a morning. So if the seventh day is a 24-hour day, it would have a beginning and ending too. It should have those phrases of evening and morning. But if it was a longer period of time, then it doesn't necessarily, it's not over yet. He says it's probably a longer period of time because God continues to rest from that kind of creative activity. So the seventh day doesn't 
seem to have an ending. We're living in that period of creative rest, his seventh day. So he tries to lay that challenge to rest. Now, the other one, the second one was, well, those six days are numbered. Those days of creation are numbered. First day, you know, second day, third day. So he says, well, he says, there are passages in the Bible where the word yom is associated with a numeral, and the day referred to is definitely not 24 hours in length. So he said, take Zechariah 14, verses 6 to 8. And it shall come to pass in that day when the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord. And it goes on and it goes on. Uh, it says in that passage that one day is clearly a longer period of time because at the end of that verse, it talks about in summer and winter. So it's, it's a long period of time. So it says that phrase, though, that's translated one day in Zechariah and day one in Genesis is exactly the same in Hebrew. So they could be prolonged periods of time. He picks out another passage where uh, days are numbered, but they don't necessarily mean 24-hour days. That's Hosea 6, verses 1 and 2, which says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us so we may live in his presence. He says, that's not saying the Lord's going to revive and restore the nation after two or three literal days. That's not what happened. It's saying that in a short time, the Lord will intervene to have a close relationship with his people. So that word yom there that does have that first, second, third, it doesn't have to mean that's 24 hours. Well, what about the third challenge? And that was that there's a pattern being established here for the Israelites. Work six days, rest one. So those are six literal days. So so is creation. He said, does the fact that God's days of creation set a pattern for six days of work and one day of rest, does that mandate that the days of creation have to be 24 hours? Well, what about Exodus 20, 9 to 11? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Uh, it's, but the seventh day is Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but he rested on the seventh. So... That's fine, but then look at three chapters later. God employs the same pattern, but this time it's years, not days. This is Exodus 23, 10 to 12. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. So he says, well, if the same pattern of creation is used for years as it is for days, then it's not necessary that those days of Genesis would be 24 hours. So in Genesis, God is just setting up a pattern. Six periods of work followed by one period of rest. And that's for the week and for years. So it doesn't require those days of Genesis to be 24 hours. Okay, I, don't, I hope that makes sense. He says, uh, as you're reading along here, you may think that your English translation of the Bible just seems to imply the days of creation are 24 hours, even though they don't have to be. He's, uh, Mike says he's heard that some Christians say their English Bible seems to make it appear that they should be 24 hours. Of course, he says the catch is the Bible wasn't written in English, it was written in ancient Hebrew. He says, look at modern English. We have something like a million words, but ancient Hebrew has fewer than 3,000 root words and altogether maybe 9,000 words. And he says the problem with Hebrew is it has no word that means a long but finite period of time, like we would say era or epoch, or age, but they don't have that. So there's the problem. It says, if the writer of Genesis wants to describe a long period of time with a definite beginning and ending, about the only choice he's going to have is yom. 
So that word yom in Genesis can be era, translated as era, rather than day, and that may be the best translation. And if the writer wanted to emphasize that each period of time had a specific beginning and ending, then he'd use that same metaphor like Psalm 90 and state that each of those yams, each of those periods of time, had an evening and a morning. It had a beginning and it had an ending. He says that's not distorting the text. That's not twisting its meaning. Those are good rules of biblical interpretation that he says he's following. And uh, he says, uh, actually, there are conservative Christian scholars who do believe the days of Genesis can't be 24 hours long. One is Gleason Archer, a biblical scholar who's fluent in Hebrew in over 30 different languages. He's one of the translators of the New American Standard Bible. Archer says, on the basis of internal evidence, it is this writer's conviction that Yom in Genesis 1 could not have been intended by the Hebrew author to mean a literal 24-hour day. According to him, he says the text of the Hebrew Bible indicates that the creation days are not 24 hours in length. So as he wraps up at the end of chapter 11, he says, you know, the days of creation just are not necessarily 24 hours just because they have evening and morning associated with them or the fact they have a numeral or because they set a pattern. So he says uh, anybody who insists that the only correct interpretation is that these be 24-hour days, is not really considering the perspective of the writer, and that's an error, he says. He says the Catholic Church long ago made the same kind of error when they insisted the sun has to go around the earth because Joshua, remember the book of Joshua, he caused the sun, not the earth, to stand still. He says we got to be careful. We can't neglect the context, the language, the culture, and we can't force Genesis to say it's 24-hour creation periods. So he says, the bottom line, so if you add it all up, we don't know the length of the days of Genesis. We don't know when the universe was created based on the biblical account, uh, account alone. And so uh, this is in the words of the Schofield Reference Bible. So he goes back one more time to somebody who's a very conservative scholar. Here's a quote from the Schofield Reference Bible. Scripture gives no data for determining how long ago the universe was created. All right, so like I said, that may be controversial. Some people are uh, are young, what called young earthers, and they do believe in that uh, 24-hour creation period, those days being literal 24-hour days. So a lot of people get uh, upset by this. I don't think we should. I think we should just realize it's a little murky, and uh, the books of uh, Moses at the beginning were not to be scientific documents. They were laying out the glory of God, the amazing thing that he did to create life and create us. So anyway, it's going to be a controversy for a long time. We just need to show grace to each other and kindness to each other and not consider somebody beyond the pale if they don't interpret uh, Genesis the exact way we do. Okay, well, I hope you uh, liked this one, and uh, I hope it didn't stir up anybody too badly, but I think it's fascinating because I like science. All right, so that was Michael Strauss, uh, his book called The Creator Revealed. It's short, it's an easy read, and it'll give you a lot of things to think about. Well, thanks. Uh, We'll do another podcast soon.